Shazam! Crap, that didn't work. Uh, Dave, do you still have that wizard's number? I think I have the receipt around here somewhere. Welcome to episode 146 of the Nerd Byword. We are gathered here today to remember the life and legacy of the first iteration of the DCEU. Sorry, that's not right. Uh, we are reviewing Shazam! Fury of the Gods in today's Byword Big Talk. But first, it's time for some shellaciously wonderful... Nerd News! From Dave. Yeah, so I think that this is uh, probably a news that is much more aimed at the heart of Chris than me, since I have not actually read this particular uh, comic book yet. However, it appears that there is currently a movement on creating a new Teenage Mutant, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles video game. However, this video game is going to take a very different approach than past games, in that it is going to be an adaptation of The Last Ronin, the 2020 graphic novel that told a grim, futuristic story about the turtles, and which is high up on the list of totally awesome stuff as far as Chris is concerned. Uh, he has nerd commended this, and I have not yet gotten around to reading it however uh, this video game adaptation is reportedly going to be a darker more mature take on the teenage mutant ninja turtles um and uh, this is according to doug rosen senior vice president for games and emerging media at paramount global which is currently holding the rights of tmnt um and the game uh, that is supposedly in development right now is going to be a third-person action role-playing game in the vein of Sony's recent God of War titles and is supposed to be authentic uh, as far as how it is adapting the last Ronin arc. Uh, so uh, this actually is a very, very different sort of approach to a TMNT game, especially considering we just recently had this you know, retro revival Shredder's Revenge which felt a lot like the old beat-em-ups that we had from sort of the, the SNES uh, and Sega Genesis generations. So I'm actually really interested in this because from a gameplay perspective, I'm a big fan of third-person action role-playing games. Although the God of War uh, game in particular did not necessarily um, jive with me. Um, I tried uh, playing the first one out of the two a couple of times and just it didn't quite hook it, you know, into me. But that might have been also some some bias on my part because I had just completed Horizon Zero Dawn and really nothing I was playing was measuring up to that game. So I may have to revisit it at some point. Uh, I am uh, very, very interested, though, in seeing what they're doing with this video game. Chris, as the uh, resident uh, fanatic when it comes to The Last Ronin, I'm very interested to hear your take on this news. Well, it's very interesting that you say that. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be completely honest. The last Ronin, while I really loved it and enjoyed it, I don't I didn't enjoy it near as much as some others did, or nearly as much as uh, I am the current IDW comics. I still think the ongoing series, um, you know, especially now that we're in the advent of uh, the Armageddon game and like this big crossover event, like that's still the bee's knees when it comes to turtle comics. Uh, don't get me wrong. The last run is very good. I nerd command it. I stand by that. It's just, um, 
it's just not my my favorite of the favorites but i'm very excited um on the prospect of this video game it's very very cool um simply due to the fact of everything that you mentioned like we went from the nostalgia bait which i gobbled up not only did we have shredder's revenge which is just really fun um you know, it's fun to play with you know, like local multiplayer. It's almost like you're at the arcade. You can play with your kids. You can play with your family. Um, and then you had the Calabunga collection, which was just the old stuff. So I got it, and it was fun revisiting those. Um, but I want I want something new now. And and I've been desperate for a... I, I know technically Shredder's Revenge is new, um, but in spirit, it's very much a throwback um, to especially Turtles in Time. Um, but I've been desperate for something new on the video game front when it comes to Ninja Turtles. I miss I miss games like the Mutants in Manhattan. Uh, that was a fun one for the 360, and they don't even have that available on the digital store. Um, just kind of like a free roam kind of you know game, open world. And and this is even more so than I anticipated. Um, I've not played God of War, being an Xbox gamer um, for the past twenty plus years, but um, I'm. I'm very interested in that game. Not enough for me to pay $200 more for a, a system um, for, for one game or two, if you include Spider-Man. But I'm very intrigued by this, very excited about this. Um, hopefully it's not exclusive. Um, and uh, I'm excited to see where we go from here because this is you know very early rumblings. Um, I'm also just thrilled for Kevin Eastman and, and Tom Waltz and the entire IDW team. Um, Sophie Campbell... Like the work that they're doing, finally getting some recognition. I know IDW is not one of the big two, so it doesn't get as much love as it should, in my opinion. Now, being attached to Nickelodeon does give them um, some some leeway and stuff. But then again, you know, in the age of streaming, Nickelodeon doesn't carry the same weight that it did even 10 years ago. So um, seeing this, you know, and, and them getting their their just... Um, desserts uh, and, and 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 the acclaim for for a great great comic book has got me really excited. And I, you know, I have to say this is also an incredibly interesting and fast turnaround. I mean, the, mm-hmm. this yeah. this story started publishing in what twenty twenty, right? And so right. going going just within you know a, a couple of years from you know publishing a graphic novel to having a direct adaptation in video game form that's not exactly normal in the biz either i mean you 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 get sort of broad you know superhero video games even like you know sony's recent spider-man games but a direct adaptation kind of like how you know sometimes movies adapt source material uh, you know to have that adapted from comic book to video game like that isn't is, is i don't think i can think of anything offhand that's sort of a direct adaptation um I know some have like used, you know, the the, the names generally of storylines. I know there was a Spider-Man game on SNES called Maximum Carnage, but it didn't exactly follow the the game, uh, the the comic book story that closely. So this is interesting and and a very different, I think, approach to making a video game. And I'm very interested to see how this shakes out as a direct adaptation. Yeah, it's such a quick turnaround that I had to check sources and make sure it was legit when I first saw it. And I was just like, maybe this is some fan account or something or you know, wishful thinking on some of these fan accounts Um, uh, and no shade to them. But I, I, you mentioned the quick turnaround. It's exactly what I thought of when I saw Supergirl woman of tomorrow being part of chapter one of the, the new DC universe. I was like, didn't that just come out? So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised by that as well. 
Oh, oh, me, me as well. I'm a big, big fan of Superman Woman of Tomorrow. It's not, you know, a perfect story, and I have some issues with the ending. Um, but, but overall, it's such a neat, uh, such a neat take on Supergirl. Um, I'm, I'm a, a big fan of that story. Feels a little bit like True Grit in space, I think. Um, very, very. It's, it's a very, very. <laughs> oh, cool what a story. movie that was! That was Haley Steinfeld's coming out party. God, I love that movie. Yeah, I did too. I saw that in theaters and absolutely adored it. Oh, anyways, Chris, you have. Uh, uh, some dare I say the best news? Uh, well, I I labeled it. If you'll forgive the dad jokes and the puns, the return of the best Jedi. Um, and so this is going to be some spoilers for the Mandalorian. But avoiding spoilers nowadays is like being the unathletic kid in dodgeball. Um, so which I can relate to. Um, so Ahmed Best made his triumphant return to Star Wars, but it wasn't. As big a return as as we, you know, the ma- major consumers had thought, um, he was revealed in the most recent episode, as of this time of recording, uh, to be Jedi Master Kaloran Beck, the Jedi who saves Grogu from Order 66 in a flashback scene. Um, and so it's just really cool, especially if you know the journey that, that Ahmed Best had to go through, unfortunately. Um, for those of you who don't know, Ahmed Best did the voice acting and the motion capture work for Jar Jar Binks, one of the most polarizing characters, not just in Star Wars, but of any IP franchise. And so the backlash and the bullying and the harassment was so bad that he you know, contemplated suicide. Um, and so to see him return to this um, and then to read the interview that uh, we're going to include in our show notes here, um, it's just really, really powerful. Uh, how much he loves Star Wars in spite of that treatment, you know, like no one would, no one would excuse him turning away from Star Wars, but he loves it so deeply that not even the awfulness of the fandom menace can turn him away from that. And so in reading this, this interview on StarWars.com, it actually Kelleran Beck is not a new character. Um, he was hosting um, a game show called the Star Wars Jedi Temple Challenge for StarWarsKids.com. Um, and he played the the character, uh, Kelleron Beck. And so this is just like a greater fleshing out and like the live action introduction here. I thought it was a new character and they just brought in Ahmed Best. Um, so he was approached by um, John Favreau, uh, Dave Filoni, and Rick Famuyiwa, uh, who are the executive producers, of course, of The Mandalorian, to bring this character to the live action universe. And of course he had his trepidations and worried about stepping back into that role. But um, it's just really a, a really triumphant story um, to see someone who's gone through the absolute worst of it um, to, to be able to persevere through that. And then to see them come full circle. And what's really cool about it is if you read this article, um, you know, a lot of people want to associate him with Jar Jar Binks and the goofiness of that character. But this guy has been studying martial arts for 40 years. And so like he really takes this craft seriously and reading his thoughts on the force. um, He mentions it like he's almost like surfing the force. Like when the clone troopers attack, he's already knows that they're there because he can feel the vibrations and the waves uh, sent from the force. So just the absolute dedication to the method in in a world where he's been treated so awfully is just really a, a truly inspirational story. And 
uh, here's hoping that they they tell the ventures of Kelleron Vec uh, for a good good time to come. Yeah, how how wild is it that the uh, the the prequel uh, redemption tour continues once mm-hmm. again? Right. Uh, first, we have you know Hayden Christensen coming back and and reprising Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader in in the Obi Wan series, which uh, had a great response from the fans. Uh, now we have uh, Jar Jar Binks himself. Uh, I'm at best making a comeback. I'm just waiting for Jake Lloyd to get a chance, right? I mean, right. he doesn't even look—he doesn't even look like Baby Anakin Skywalker anymore. And here we go. There was there's another one that was absolutely treated horrifically. Um, for you know, let's be honest, nothing really that was on his shoulders. You know, he he turned in the best performance given the the material that he was given, right? Um, and I think the same thing applies to to the whole Jar Jar Binks situation. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not a fan of, of Jar Jar Binks as a character in any way, shape or form. Um, however, uh, to put that on, on, on Ahmed Best is, is you know, absolute nonsense. This, this was a, a failure in scripting. Uh, this was, you know, George Lucas all the way as most of the problems which we've you know discussed in great te- detail before on the byword uh most of the problems with the prequels fall squarely on on george's shoulders and the fact that there was nobody there to say no to him um and there's a reason that the best star wars movie by far uh was empire strikes back uh which was not directed by lucas and uh you know people were actually able to stand up to stand up to him and say this does not work um so i'm i'm actually behind a great deal uh, when it comes to the Mandalorian, but this was spoiled, uh, you know, online for me. So I'm fully aware of the situation. I kind of looked into it a little bit and I think it's an absolutely really cool move, uh, by the current regime to, to tap into, uh, the changes I think in, in the fandom, I think there is still a lot of toxicity in the fandom, especially with stuff that is currently coming out. However, I think that the winds of change have blown for a while now when it comes to the prequels, and Star Wars fans look at them a little differently these days, uh, with a, probably a little more forgiving eye. Um, and it's so it's very good, I think, that they're bringing some of these people back that have been so maligned in the past to, to get a chance to, to stand in the spotlight and and get to experience the good side of Star Wars fandom, which is what they should have experienced, I think, to begin with. So so kudos. I'm still waiting for Jake Lloyd, though. I I, I would love for Jake Lloyd to make a make a little appearance and and get a little bit of kudos as well. It's funny that you say that. How awful certain segments of the fandom can be because um, I follow a creator. On, on TikTok, who's like, you know, said last year, just wait, they're going to turn on the Mandalorian. They're going to turn on Mando very soon. And they have. Uh, they already are complaining about this latest season, which I, I don't believe you've started yet. But let me let me assure let me assure you, it's not bad. It's very, very good, in fact. Um, but it's the same complaints from the same impatient turds. Um, who are like, nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. Where are the cameos? Where are all the big stuff? Where's this person? And where's that person? And um, I've, I've forgotten the creator's name. Um, and I apologize, but I'll, I'll tweet it out uh, when I recall. But they said that the Mandalorian has always been about the journey, never like the destination. Like, have you watched the first two seasons? Like, it wasn't like, I think we got spoiled with how season two ended and the Luke Skywalker of it all. Um, and so, like, people are already this beloved thing that that everybody, even the worst parts of the fandom kind of enjoyed the Mandalorian. Because, um, you know, 
nostalgia was rampant and Luke Skywalker's back and all that stuff. So everybody universally loved the Mandalorian. And now those idiots have turned on it because who knows and who cares at this point. But let me assure you, it's still great. Oh, also, here's probably why. Uh, Bo-Katan, a female character, is, is is more of a focus this season. So they're probably raging about that. Yeah, I'm sorry. But uh, any uh, season, series, or movie that focuses in any way, shape, or form on Katie Sackhoff is good by me. So uh, these people are Right? Weird. Right? Like, have, like I'm, I'm going back and watching Battlestar Galactica based on how much I've loved her work as Bo-Katan. Have you seen her in um, that um, that Riddick sequel? No, I haven't. Seen oh yeah, any of the Riddick they, stuff. Okay, so so it, it so the Riddick situation is one I, you know we you and I need to dive into one of these days. The first one in the series, Pitch Black, um, was very much sort of sci-fi horror movie, um, and I and I adored it with a red hot glowing passion. Like I love Pitch Black. It's it's up there. It's one of my faves. Um, you know, sci-fi horror has kind of fallen to the wayside in a lot of ways. And so seeing seeing that, you know, was really, really cool. And then they made something that was a little more epic sci-fi, The Chronicles of Riddick, which was all right, but failed at the box office. And then they came back and made a third one, which was supposed to harken back more to, to Pitch black sort of methodology, smaller scale, you know, and, and all that. Um, and in that movie, I think it was just called Riddick. In that movie, you had Katie Sackhoff, and she was really good in that as well. So um, definitely worth a look. For sure. Well, if you and I know I nerd commended this a few weeks ago and you hadn't watched it yet, but get your butt together if you want horror sci-fi because nope is mm, chef's kiss. And the fact that it was left out of award season, we are side-eyeing you, bombastic side-eye. Well, I mean, you did that as a as a longtime fan of horror. That is just something you have to accept. I mean, the the horror genre is uh, in award season about as maligned as the superhero genre. If not, I was just going to so, say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's not something that that frequently wins awards, even though it oftentimes features some of the absolutely most creative stuff that you'll see. I mean, it's I, I that's one of the reasons I, I love the horror genre so much. Um, you know, it's it's one of the few places, I think, where creatives really, really can cut loose sometimes. So, um, yeah, but don't don't expect don't expect horror movies to win awards, regrettably. <laughs> it's pretty rare. All right. That wraps up nerd news for this week. When we come back from our first break, we're going to break down our likes and dislikes and everything in between with Shazam Fury of the Gods. <laughs> Welcome back to this week's Byword. And this week we are looking at the latest superhero film to have released. We're talking Shazam! Fury of the Gods. And as is customary when we watch and review, um, or read and review, but in this case watch, uh, we have each three likes and three dislikes, uh, and then we come back uh, as the teachers that we are in our daily lives and give it a final grade. Uh, so, Dave, what is the first up on your likes of Shazam! Fury of the Gods? So I'm actually really excited for this review. Um, uh, as of uh, right now, I have just watched this uh, like about you know 12 hours ago or so, and it's still really fresh in my mind. Um and and given the the box office lull that this movie is going through, uh, I think there's a lot to talk about here. So I'm I'm really excited to dive in. Um, so first up, I think 
my, my first biggest like by far is probably uh, Freddie Freeman. Now, I will say that even in the first one, uh, I, I really liked the character of Freddie Freeman and how he was presented. Um, you know, that, that sarcastic jokiness as a way of compensating for um, you know his the, the bullying he experiences and and his social status and and his um, you know uh, his physical struggles. I thought that was uh, an, an interesting take on the on the character, and I really enjoyed uh, the performance as well in the first one. And it's really interesting um, how much of a focal point I think he becomes here uh, to the point where I think it's arguable that he is a much um, more capable. Um, and and more heroic figure in a lot of ways than Billy Batson himself. Um, this was very much the Freddie Freeman show. Uh, two moments in particular that really stood out to me that I absolutely adored is when they um, uh, Lucy Liu's character was trying to manipulate him into uh, divulging the names of his family members, and you know every single person throughout the entire movie that's manipulated like that just immediately you know falls under her spell and he's like screaming and struggling against it and it's just a very cool little moment for him um and then similarly you know that really awesome dragon that like literally makes you poop yourself uh because it emanates fear um and and he actually struggles against that fear to you know to try to get to his lady love there i absolutely love those moments for him um and and it really shows great growth from where we meet the character in the first movie to where he ends up here he's a he's a very very strong character and and arguably uh one of the most heroic really in the entire movie so i'm a big big fan of freddie freeman's character in this movie yeah i'm glad you put it as one of your likes and i almost did the only nitpick i had is um with the physical disability there were a lot of moments where he was running you know full force uh and the disability kind of vanished um but you know, the, I have a lot of respect for Jack Dylan Grazer between this and the It movie. Uh, the, well, I only saw the first one, uh, but It Chapter One and like his his character work is just magnificent. Uh, he's got he's got serious chops. Um, so yeah, I really really enjoyed his character. Um, and and I thought that one of the most like sellable scenes, like that he sold, is. Full spoilers for this movie. Oh, oh, by the way, why why are you listening to this if you haven't watched the movie? But um, when when Billy dies, um, and he like has this emotional reaction and get your bleep button ready, but he says you like I was like that's totally in line with something a kid would say, you know. Um, I also think I also think that Adam Brody is like the perfect casting for a yassified superhero version of this character, because uh, I don't I don't know if you remember back in the day, Dave, but the OC was appointment television. That was one of my shows during high school Um, and seeing him as like this superhero dweeb is just like it's so perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, you know, I mean, casting, we can talk a lot about it's been it's pretty darn good, you know, across the board in, in this movie and, and, and the previous movie for that. And considering that, uh, you know, most of these actors showed up in a glorified cameo, the adult versions of these kids uh, at mm-hmm. the end of the first one. I'm really glad that they, had, you know, locked down the uh, the contracts and made sure they got everybody to come back for this one, because the the pendulum is kind of swung in the other way in this movie, where you see the the adult versions, I think, a lot more than the kid versions in a lot of ways, yes. um, which I think is almost to the detriment of the movie, because the kid versions I, are I so totally good. agree. I totally but, agree. Uh, but at the very least, there was consistency from movie to movie. 
All right, Chris. So that brings us to your first like of the movie. Uh, what did you enjoy? That's probably going to tie into. It looks like your second like, but um, so I did not enjoy this movie as much as the first one, but that's okay because it, the heart the, the first one's pretty hard to top when it came to the heart of the movie. And so the heart remains here. There are more nitpicks that I have for this sequel than I have for the first one, but I'm willing to overlook that because the heart remains. And I'm, I was willing to do the same thing with wonder woman 84. And I am not putting this on the same level of my dislike for it, but I'm saying that I was willing to overlook some of the stuff in wonder woman 84 because of the central message that that film tried to portray uh, and tried to, to send out. Um, and I think they did a better job of executing here. I'm a sap. Listen, I'm 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 easily pleased when it comes to sentimental stuff. Um, and e- even if they are some cheesy one-liners, I think the heart um, that that we got in the emotional message that we got from the first film remains here. Not as well executed as the first film, but it does remain, and it is overwhelmingly the thing that I like most about both films. I think it's absolutely fair to say that this movie is not as good as the first one. The the first one is, uh, it kind of came out of nowhere and slapped you across the face with how good it was. Um, and it was much better that better than it had any right to be, you know, given this, you know, everything that, you know, we know about the character and the history of the character and the approach that they took and that it leans more into the, the Jeff Johnsified version of the character than the original Captain Marvel version of the character. Like there's a lot of moving parts here. And the fact that it turned out as well as it did is, is, is pretty darn impressive. Um, that's not to say that this movie isn't good, uh, that it has problems obviously, and we'll get into those, but I totally agree that it has, it has its heart in the right place. Um, and, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. This was something I was actually going to say for the end, but I think it fits pretty well here. And that is that I like this movie a whole lot better than Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Um, and I was trying to put my finger on why I was enjoying this ride so much more than Quantumania, which by all accounts was a, a decent movie, um, which had, you know, for the most part, just scripting issues. And I think it's it comes down exactly to your point. I think there's just a lot of heart in this movie. Um, and I don't think quantum mania had nearly as much heart and, and I, I, that kind of stuff resonates with me. And I think that's why I like this movie a a fair deal better than quantum mania. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think I, I think I give quantum mania more credence, um, and, and that I enjoyed it more. Maybe that's my Marvel bias. Now, don't ask me. I don't really want to visit that topic with the breaking news that we got yesterday regarding Jonathan Majors. Um, I am not not ready to dive into that. So I'm going to kick it to you for your second like of Shazam, Fear of the Gods. Yeah, so my second like, I think, uh, as you said, ties in very closely to um, the heart of the matter when you're like, and that is simply the family dynamics. I think... um, I think, you know, whoever's making Fantastic Four over at Marvel needs to take some notes here because the one you, thing. Hold up, that hold we, up, hold up. Did you just make a Don Henley reference? Yeah. The heart of the matter? Is that okay? Okay. No, no, I, I just appreciate it. Like, I love, we, we talked about our musical interests recently. I, I love an old school throwback. Well, I'm about as old school as they get. Um, <laughs> 
So, um, so yeah, I think the, the whoever's making the Fantastic Four over at Marvel needs to take some notes here because the key, yes, I think, to yes. the Fantastic Four is that they are a family and that their dynamic is not one of a superhero team, but in fact of a family with all the the good and and the complexity that comes along with that. Um, and and I think this movie nails that in in a lot of ways, um, very very well. Uh, I, I think you get a feeling that these these people are family. They they have you know disagreements, but they also pull together really well. I I enjoy uh, still. I think it still shines through in this movie as well. The idea of found family, the idea of of, of adoption, and 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 you know sometimes the the people that are blood related to you let you down, but you can make your own family. Like all those themes still resonate really strongly in this. Um, and I also think that it, the 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 sense of fear of loss uh, that Billy is going through in this movie, I think, rings really true. Um, you know, Mary talking a lot about how she wanted to go off to college, and and he does not really want her to leave. Um, you know, Freddie wanting to go off and play superhero on his own, but Billy always insisting, "No, we do it all together, or none of us go." Like this. He's he's clinging very tightly to something that he's found that he's afraid of losing, and I think I think that rings true um, across the board here. So I really really like the family dynamics, and I still really enjoyed um, the the parents in in this movie, uh, even though they were there, there was just not enough of them. I think, uh, but I think that's something we can get into in our dislikes. There there are things that were. Um, uh, half baked, I think is the best way to put it. Um, but again, I, I think as we've said already, the heart of this movie is in the right place, and it really shines through anytime they interact as a family with each other. Yeah, um, two of my three dislikes of the film. I'm going to touch more on this, but like like I said, the heart remains. At the end of the day, I was willing to overlook some of that, um, and and I still enjoyed it as a result. All right, so that brings us to uh, your next like, Chris. What have you got? Well, it's funny that you reference this, that they spent almost too much time as the grown-ups. I was glad to see that they kind of reverted back to their kid states in the third act. Um, unfortunately, it, not so much Billy, though. I think we needed more Billy out of out of costume, but, you know, more on that later. But um, easily the winner of the show, for me, is Darla-like. And and it's because of masterful portrayals by both uh, Megan Good as superhero Darla and um, as the little girl who played her. Oh, God, I'm looking it up right now. Where is it? Uh, Faith Herman. Faith Herman as as Darla herself. Like, it's just so great. And Megan Good's like acting choices. Like, you totally believe that this is like a six or seven year old little girl. Like the way like she emotes and expressions, the kittens, all of it. Um, and then it leads up to, I wanted to talk to you about this last night, but you were watching it, um, later than I was. And so, I mean, it doesn't get better than taste the rainbow mother. (laughs) (laughs) This was the line of the movie. (laughs) Oh my God. Like she's so great. And she's a scene stealer. I love, I love Darla to the moon and back. She gives me, uh, she reminds me a lot of, um, Lunella Lafayette moon girl from Marvel comics, just like that like super brain, like the real one, like running the show, the heart behind stuff. Um, and her devil dinosaur is just these murderous unicorns. And also like the reimagining of unicorns more on, more on that later. But uh, yeah, Darla is the cream of the crop. She's the the best of all of them. 
I will say that uh, there, I think there are certain characters that really shown in this movie, and that there are some that you know were really shortchanged. And a lot of the a lot of the Shazam family for I really want to call them the Marvel family. This is really hard. Uh, <laughs> um, a lot of the Shazam the sh- family. The family. The Shamley. The Shamley. A lot of the Shamley got sort of shortchanged. Not every character got to have their moment. Um, but I think Darla really rose rose to the top of it. I think Freddie and Darla, and to a lesser extent Mary, although I wish they would have done a little bit more with Mary because she was coming across really well as well. Um, but but I think Freddie and Darla in particular really rose to the to the top of uh, of this whole situation. And it was really, really cool to see those two characters shine like that. Um there was something about Mary, man. She was like almost there. I don't know what went wrong. Um, I really wanted Mary to have have her moment, and it never quite came, um, which I thought was really a shame. I thought I saw somebody tweet out like um, a a photo of that actress, and I'm going to give credit to the name uh, Grace Carolyn Curry. Uh, a, a photo of her and Journey Smollett, and just like you know, bring them back. They did nothing wrong. Because like, there's so much left there to tell with both of those characters. Um, but more on that later. Um, so, Dave, your third and final like uh, for Shazam! Fury of the Gods. So there was not a portal that opened in the sky over the city and monsters were flying out. And I really appreciated that because air portal, uh, sky portal is getting a little old. <laughs> So, no, what I really actually liked was the climax. I think there was some really inventive stuff happening here. I love the idea of the dragon. I love that the the, the, the dragon, like, radiated fear. Um, I like the idea of the bubble around the city and then shrinking that down to make, like, a really, you know, small fighting space. I like the idea of overloading the staff by throwing the lightning around the way it did and then yelling Shazam, the, the fight with the dragon. I think that that whole setup was different than what we usually get in superhero movies um and so i really really liked that i also really liked that uh they they stripped the powers off of the rest of the shamily <laughs> and uh went ahead and still you know had fun with them with the whole unicorn thing and making sure that they were able to contribute even without powers which ties in nicely with sort of the the underlying message of the movie uh, which is, you know, the thing that makes you special isn't your powers, it's you. So um, I think that that works really well. I just really enjoyed the climax, um, period. Um, except for one little thing, and we'll get to that in the dislikes. But uh, overall, I thought like the climax was incredibly well handled um, in trying to do something a little different while still feeling very superhero-y in the process. Like, I really like this, man. Yeah, I really, I really dug um, more on this in the dislikes, but the the fact that the daughters of atlas kind of turned on each other and and so i thought that was believable i mean like thousands of years of disappointment they're not going to be of one mind you know so um yeah i i thought that was really really great um i just wish we had more for for calypso lucy Liu's character to do because she was great in the little bit that also i want to i want to point out that that was a very smart move uh, you know for for those of the, our listeners that don't know the daughters of atlas as far as i remember are original characters made for this movie they're not traditionally shazam villains but what mm. they did is by basically having siblings versus siblings right um right and, and seeing and seeing the you know one family despite their differences i being didn't able even to think of to, that yeah being able to pull together in the face of a crisis whereas 
another group of siblings cannot pull together and, and in the face of the crisis fall apart, I think was a beautiful contrast between the good guys and the bad guys. So I, I thought that was really, really smart. You know, I had my problems with the fact that the Mr. Mind tease didn't go anywhere because I really liked that worm. Um, but for what they did here for original villains, I thought it was thematically smartly done. You can really tell what they were going for by how they contrasted the villains and the heroes with each other. So that that really that really sang. All right, Chris, that brings us to your final like, and uh, I, I'll wholeheartedly echo that. Dude, like, I'm easy to please. This movie has heart and it has mythology. I'm in. Um, I, I've, I've loved mythology from the earliest years that I can remember. Um, and so seeing like a full-fledged manticore, seeing the minotaur on screen, that was so super cool. The unicorns were awesome. Like, and, and the fact that like Darla was like, yeah, I don't care. Here's some Skittles. So I, uh, I, I absolutely loved everything to do with the mythological stuff, ancient Greece being involved. I'm so glad. Well, I say that I'm so glad that we're kind of divesting ourselves from strictly a Greco-Roman kind of mindset when it comes to mythology and popular culture and, and stuff. And Norse too, you know, my ancestry be darned. I'm glad we're kind of introducing other mythos. I was glad to see Namor in Wakanda forever, of course. And um, here's hoping that we kind of diversify when it comes to mythology, because it is not just Western you know, religions and belief systems. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm always happy to see some mythological stuff, man. Yeah, I mean, I wholeheartedly agreed. And I think it's fair to say that the, the Greco-Roman thing is just kind of baked into uh, into the Shazam um, character, you know? So and, D- it, it and, makes... and a lot of DC. More on that later. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. And so I think that makes sense to a certain extent and to lean into that particular mythology for this movie. Although you could kind of see them having some fun if they would, were to, you know, get to make another one and kind of radiate outward a little bit and uh, and, and incorporate some other mythologies. Although I still want my Mr. Mind movie, darn it. That worm is a, is a worthy adversary and I want my Mr. Mind movie. Um but yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a big fan of mythology and world history and all that jazz. I mean, I, you know, I've taught it for years and uh, it, it makes sense that anytime that, you know, uh, history and mythology plays a role in a movie, it's going to resonate with me. And, and it certainly did here. Um, you know, the, the whole thing with the wizard anyways was really cool, too. The way they kind of bolstered out that backstory of the wizard and how, how he got into, you know, the possession of those powers um, that he then passed along to the shamily. Um, so I, I really, I really enjoyed how they kind of like built on, um, on the first movie, even like they, they brought the stinking staff back, you know, like that, that was that such a genius. Okay. One. That should be my number one, like, like a throwaway thing that you just assumed, Oh, he broke the staff because he's a teenager and that's something that a teenager would do. But that continuing thread was the smartest thing of the entire movie. Yeah, I even liked that little moment of flashback. He's like, "Oh, cr- oh, oh, yeah, I did that. That was that was me. I did that." And then like, I threw it in the dumpster. Like, <laughs> yeah, and they're like, "Well, you were all there. You saw me do it." You know. <laughs> yeah, that was. And good I gave stuff. you superpowers. You're welcome. <laughs> all right, Chris. I think this uh, br- this brings us to our dislikes, does it not? It does. So, Dave, um, we've we've kicked this can around a little bit, but let's fully dive into this first dislike of yours okay so i'm a big fan of uh, of mary's character mary marvel as she is known of course in in the comic books um 
And uh, she's just recently had a really good miniseries, and she's just a very neat character that for some reason keeps getting, you know, kicked pretty hard. Uh, if you go back you know, 10, 15 years or so, and we were into the, the age of the DC Weekly series Countdown. Uh, oh my God, they tried to turn her bad. She took on the powers of Black Adam and it corrupted her. And then she's like running around in fetish gear. And like, I wish they would just leave Mary Marvel alone at one point. And the cool thing is that the portrayal of Mary uh, in these movies has been really, really good. The problem is that they really didn't give her enough to do, um, particularly in this movie. There is the seed of something interesting happening with the character. You know, like she's you know sitting there reading biochem, a biochem textbook, but she's not in college. You know, then she shows up with a with a hangover to one of the meetings and says she went went out with some people her own age. And apparently, there's a deleted scene where she runs into some people uh, that she knows that did go off to college, and they invite her to a party or something. And initially, she doesn't want to go, and then she opts in anyways because she wants to. You know, she wants to be part of that world. Uh, you know, Little Mermaid reference. So um, I, I think there's the seed of something there interesting for her, you know, the struggle of well, how do I find my way now that I didn't get to go to college, which is what I really wanted to do. But then it goes nowhere. She gets no payoff for that thread in any way, shape or form. And I think that's a real problem because a lot of threads do get a payoff, you know, like um, the, the thing with, with Freddie gets a payoff. The problems that Billy is experiencing with letting go, that gets a payoff of sorts. But Mary gets like zero payoff for her character arc. And I think that's that's a bad, bad look because she's such a neat character. And she's actually really well portrayed in this movie if they would have just given her a little more to do and they would have paid off that character arc for her. Yeah, it ties into my second dislike. Um, so I'll save a lot of what I have to say about that. But it's just, it, it's funny because as a newcomer to DC Comics, um, it, it, there's a lot of love for this character. Like I see it across my Twitter timeline all the time, like Mary Marvel, this Mary Marvel, that I'm like, I don't really know anything about this character. I mean, like I can draw conclusions based on what I know about Shazam and like the first film and stuff. But so I was really surprised not to see her more featured. Like it was a, it was a real disappointment because I know how popular the character is, even peripherally speaking, and then not to feature as prominently, uh, prominently as she should have was, it was a disappointment. Yeah, absolutely it was. Now, Chris, this is exactly what I was uh, not wanting to talk about for this movie. So, of course, you would bring it up. Um, it's just the behind the, the behind the scenes drama. Uh, as as somebody who is a writer, um, the behind the scenes drama is always the least interesting to stuff to me. And you know, the mechanics of how the story is being told the most interesting. But it's undeniable that this is something that we're going to have to address. So, take it away, boss. Okay, so. We have to talk about the awkward truths about this film. Um, the the other one, the Zachary Levi being a weirdo when it comes to politics and all that stuff, that is what it is, okay? Um, and unfortunately, the more we kind of traffic in celebrity culture, you know, like I said with Jonathan Majors, stuff is going to come out that we're not going to like and we're not going to agree with. Um so that is what it is. I, I don't want to sit here and have this political debate discussion. Um, the, the the rock situation, the rock of eternity, if you will, of it all. Uh, the fact that, that the rock did not want to play nice and he just wanted to fight Superman rather than the actual comic accurate character who was his adversary was not interested in doing that at all. Listen, 
you will not find a bigger fan of The Rock. He's my all-time favorite professional wrestler. I I, I enjoy his movies, uh, not as much as I did his wrestling stuff. But I mean, like, that's that's who it is. It's The Rock. And when you give the keys to something like Black Adam and this vehicle, you get you know exactly who The Rock is. Okay, he's a grandstanding. Um, is he narcissistic? Hell, he might be narcissist himself, and I love him. But that's what makes him great. Okay, so don't be surprised when he doesn't want to play well with others. Okay, look at the Vin Diesel situation. Although I I haven't watched any of those movies, so I can't really comment. I think I've seen like two or three of them, none of them involving The Rock. But it sounds like Vin Diesel is equally to blame as well. So I don't know. Please don't put that on me. I I clearly could not care less about race car movies. I'm sorry. That's just not my bag. Okay. But the one that I really want to talk about, and as much as I try to be an open-minded individual, the one that really kind of I had to actively fight against this preconceived notion is just the reality that we are not continuing in this connected universe. Like it's if you're like you're 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 cohabitating with a significant other and you break up and you're just waiting for them to get their stuff out. That's this movie for me. So it's and and it's not that you don't have fond memories. Like I loved the first one. It's probably the biggest, most pleasant surprise in a superhero movie I've ever had. I had little to no expectations going in, and I absolutely loved it coming out. We watched it for the first time at a family Thanksgiving, and like it added all the mu- all the more elements of family and love and you know, adoration for one another because we watched it at family Thanksgiving. So it's a perfect place to watch it. So you have great memories together, but it's it's time to go. So like just the awkwardness of all of that kind of it has to be stated uh all of those things. Okay, so um I'm I'm going to try to just go ahead and 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 hit these quickly and efficiently um first uh the Zachary Levi of it all um it's disappointing that he uh, has turned out to be such a weirdo, <laughs> especially yeah. considering that I'm a, I'm a fan going pretty far back. I was a, an avid, uh, an avid viewer of Chuck. I was part of the nerd herd. I, I absolutely adored that show and was sweating bullets every season when it was on the edge of cancellation and fans had to rally to try to bring it back another year. Um, that, that show uh, is, you know, a part of me and a part of my life in a way that, you know, something like Farscape almost is like it is, is kind of seminal show in my life. Um, and so, you know, I've always hoped that the guy would get some success out of it because his portrayal of, of Chuck was so good and seeing him land Shazam was really neat. And so uh, it's just disappointing that he's he's absolutely such a weirdo online these days. Um, but But that's one of the reasons why I really don't. Um, you know, hang my fandom often on on individual um, people, but more on on characters and concepts and stories because that's kind of I think where my tendency lies. Uh, the Rock of it all, um, I'm a big fan of The Rock as well. He was my all time f- uh, favorite professional wrestler. Um, I, I'm disappointed here as well. Um, I think you know the whole like Black Adam versus Superman thing was stupid to begin with, if you ask me. Um, and I and I think having black having Black Adam 
um, as a villain in this movie or in a future movie or even showing up in a post credit scene or something would have been significantly more interesting and significantly more... Um, it, it, fans of the comics would be much more hyped, I think, for a face-off between... Um, you know, Captain Marvel and Black Adam than they are would be for Superman and Black Adam. Um, I don't know if if The Rock is is hitting you know some kind of midlife crisis or something and needs to prove to himself that that he's a big man by beating up a fictional alien. Um, but hey, you know what? Whatever makes you feel good. Uh, but it would have you know as far as like being a team player, doing the right thing for the franchise, you know, following the source material, all of those things, he totally dropped the ball there, and I found I found that really disappointing as as a fan of his wrestling work in particular. That that you know sometimes, as we know, when you are a wrestler, you've you've got to uh, you know you've got to give somebody else a push, and you got to you know you got you got to lay down for them, you know, so they can so they can boost upward. What's weird to me is the whole Superman thing. He made it, he was like, really like, look what I did for the fans. Like, we really wanted to do this. And like, it's almost like you go to a restaurant and you're like, they're like, look what we brought for you. I'm like, I didn't order this. Like, who ordered Superman in a Black Adam movie? Like, nobody wanted that. Like, and nobody. so like, he wants to hang his hat. He wants to hang his hat on like this thing that he did for us. I'm like, dude, nobody wanted that. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. Nobody wanted that. Um, so, you know, thanks, but no thanks, I think, is the proper answer here. Uh, it's just, it's very, very, very disappointing uh, that, that that turned out the way it did. Um, so th- there, there, is, there is that. Um, now, as far as, you know, this is not part of uh, the interconnected universe going forward, blah, 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 yada, yada. Uh, not to put too fine of a point on it, but this is just the kind of um, person I am when it comes to storytelling. I, honest to God, don't give a I don't give a wet fart. I, that that's that's the truth. Whether whether that uh, you know is is a nice thing to say or not, I do not know. But I just don't care uh, whether this is part of some interconnected universe or not, as long as the story is good um, and I'm entertained. I am here for this, which is why. Um, you know, despite what is coming down the pipe at DC, despite the fact that there's the big reset button coming and that there's, you know, doubt about who's coming back or not, given the new continuity and everything. Um, I enjoyed this movie tremendously and I, it did not bother me that it is the last gasp of an old continuity. You know, that is like saying the last few issues of if Brian Q. Miller's Batgirl were not enjoyable because you knew that the, the new 52 was coming and would reset everything. No, I still loved that comic book till the very last drop. And so, um, you know, as far as the larger interconnected stuff is concerned, you know, I really don't care. In fact, I'll go I'll go a step further and say what I've been saying for a while. I also want to see that darn Batgirl movie. Um I I would totally be there for that. You know, let's hope it leaks. Um that's a horrible thing to say maybe, but uh I, I really do want to see that movie. Um and I'll probably check out the Flash as well just because I'm curious what they did with it, even though I have my issues with that as well. Because again, I'm not so much interested in the in the overarching continuity from movie to movie. I'm much more interested just in in storytelling, and are, you know, are they telling a good story here? And I think in this movie they certainly did. Um, and I don't need every movie to be MCU style, part of some larger grand epic of thirty movies or something. Sometimes it's good for me to just pop on a movie and enjoy it for what it is. And I was I was here for this one. And I don't want to come across like 
some like MCU shill that like I need interconnectedness. Um, I, I I don't I don't necessarily want to comment on the fact that you know they're not going to be joined moving forward per se, uh, except for the one that you're going to reference here in a moment. I, the wolf of oh dear God, all the gods. Um, the the simple fact is that this was like already shot, already done, and then they have this very clear and point uh, you know plant your flag in the ground moment after it's already done so that awkwardness whether we continue on with these characters these actors that's neither here nor there it's just the the kind of awkwardness of that statement and then like oh by the way shazam is coming yeah and you know it is it i think it probably has at least something to do with the um with the way the box office went, I think that uh, especially among comic book fans now, there is a certain expectation that everything is part of a larger continuity, uh, even on the big screen, and that if that's not there, then automatically, automatically, it's not worth your time. That's a really, really poor um, attitude yeah. to have. I think. Um, I don't know that so I would put I, that I'm... on comic. I don't. I, I I would put that on Gen Pop fans. I don't. I wouldn't put that on like comic fans. I think with. I think one of the 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 monkey's paw if you'll forgive another wonder woman 84 reference one of the monkey's paw elements of the success of the mcu and the the infinity um saga sorry blank for a second the infinity saga and we're seeing this already with the backlash against the mcu uh is that now you've told this successful interconnected story that's now the standard for everything that subsequently follows, that's just laughable. We have no patience when it comes to, you know, the current phase in Marvel. We have no patience with movies like this that kind of stand on their own. Um, so it's just, I, I, I wouldn't put that on comic fans. I think we can, we can kind of, you know, disseminate between that. Uh, I would put that on the gen pop, the, the normies, if you will. See, I'm not 100% convinced that that is the case. I think that uh, Gen Pop certainly has something to do with that. I think that there is an expectation among them. But I don't think we can discount the number of fans of Big Two comic book storytelling that insist on, on continuity as sort of the benchmark of quality. Well, this is not part of the continuity, so I'm not going to check it out, even though it might be an interesting story, is not an attitude that everybody shares who is a comic book fan. But I think among big two fans, it's a co- it's an attitude that we encounter more often than I think is probably fair to some of the creators. You know, like look at something like um, Dark Knights of Steel, for example, which is really, really interesting storytelling. It's way, way out of continuity, right? But... Um, you know, there are plenty of people that are saying, I'm not, I'm just not going to pick something like that up because it's not part of the main continuity and therefore it's not interesting to me. Um, you know, and I think that that's, that is a problem that is originating. That's such a sad existence. I'm sorry. Yes. Yes. And I think a it's sad a sad pro- life. It's a pro it's a problem and attitude that really originates, I think in the comic book world, right? Because that is not a problem that the cinematic world had before something like the MCU came along. And I think it's definitely bled into the gen general audience, but I think it, it definitely has its roots in, in the comic book world. Uh, Dave, your next dislike for Shazam fury of the gods. 
one of my favorite parts of the movie by far, and and I'll keep this brief because apparently we're going like off topic every couple of minutes now. <laughs> um, uh, so my, one of my favorite things of the movie was the seed that they planted at the beginning of the movie that everybody calls Rose and Mom except for Billy, and why that might be the case. And then the two share like almost zero screen time with each other for the rest of the movie. And then towards the end of the movie, he suddenly calls her mom. And there's like no build up to that, no moment of clarity for Billy. Um, I almost feel like there's a deleted scene there or something like there's a piece missing. Um, similarly, I think to what happened with, with Mary's subplot, there's just a piece missing that would have given um, emotional catharsis, I guess is the best way to put it. And so then the moment when he calls her mom at the end is nice. Um, but I feel like there was, if we would have had another piece of the moment when, when he achieves clarity that this is his mother, um, it would have been a much, much stronger moment for the movie. And and maybe that sounds like a nitpick, but I think it was a real missed opportunity for the movie, especially a movie that leans so strongly into the theme of family. All right. So in the interest of saving time, I'm going to cut straight into my dislike because they're very similar. Uh, yours is one of the symptoms of an overall, like or one of the side effects of one of the overall kind of, conditions for me in this movie and it's to borrow one of your terms from a previous episode everything's undercooked almost everything this movie is undercooked it needs about another 30 minutes to an hour in the oven Uh, i'm not talking screen time because that would be a nightmare but the parents are barely in the movie so pedro has nothing pedro is silent i mean he comes out as gay we love that for him we support him But that poor guy has nothing else in this movie or the previous one. Nothing. Eugene is this lovable nerd. And then he's like, you know, I'm sorting through all the doors. That plot thread goes nowhere whatsoever. He gets no character work. He's he's turned back into a kid and he's just an extra in the background for Darla's story, who I love, love her. Mary, we talked about that goes nowhere, and um, and it's it's equally frustrating to me because the the one mantra that they kept echoing was all or none or something to that effect, if I remember correctly. It's either all of us or none of us, and so we're to have that as like this this through line, and then to not execute on that was disappointing. Um, you know, and one of the things that I appreciate about us doing this show and watching more media, you know, co- overcoming my fears with the horror genre um, and, you know, reading a lot more, being a creator myself, as I appreciate like storytelling and like the bare bones of it and the structure of a well thought out story. And so there are all of these previous plot threads that I mentioned that were undercooked. They each need three or four callbacks three or four bookmarks that you can say, ah, here's where we tell progress. And then it ties up in a nice bow at the end. But everything was undercooked for this movie. And I wanted so much to love this movie. I liked this movie. I wanted to love this movie. And I think this is where I stopped from loving it because if everything was cooked perfectly, that heart at the end that carried us through. And the reason I'm willing to overlook all of this is because the heart's there, the family's there. How much more satisfying would it have been if we would have like given them the, the, the right amount of time. See, it's interesting too, because I think this, this movie is a team movie disguising as a solo superhero movie. Um, And I, and I think team superhero movies are always 
much more difficult, right? I mean, you have a lot more time in in a comic book for for things to breathe, right? And and this movie does not have the benefit of like each hero going off and having their own movie first, and then they're all well established, and then you bring them together to watch them bounce off of each other. So balancing these very various characters is extremely challenging. Um, but that was the job, right? And yeah, they did not do a great job with this, right? So we already, you know, I think Billy's story is good. Uh, Freddie's story is good. Darla's story is good. Mary's needed a few more scenes to, to flesh out. And then, you know, the other two members of the of the Shamily are basically just existent. Um, and I think, you know, there are ways to to sync up their stories, you know, uh, with the rest and, and to create something where everybody has their moment to shine. Um, that That really is the job when you're writing a superhero team. You know, everybody contributes, everybody has their moment to shine. So fans of each character get something that they like, you know, and, and that, that was what was missing here to a great extent. Absolutely. And I, I just want to toss this in again. I mentioned it earlier, but the kids being reverted to their childlike form uh, in the third act was really powerful, but I needed more Billy, you know, Asher Allen as a great actor was barely in this movie. Um, He's going to get like lead credits second behind Zachary Levi, I think, in IMDb. He's barely in this movie. And so I, I, I needed a good, a good deal more of him. Part of what clicked and worked so well the first one is he was constantly going back and forth. And he didn't really do that um, uh, in this one. And that is absolutely accurate, yeah. Um, and, and I think um, I almost feel like a function of that was that he's getting older. <laughs> like with Mary, it's accepted she was the oldest one to begin with, I think. But, uh, but, you know, the idea that this is, you know, big, you know, the movie big, but in, in superhero form kind of goes out the window when your kid version is about to hit 18, right? In the movie, he's like a few months out. From and that's the, difficult, that's the difficulty of, of live action films, you know, Absolutely. comic books with the sliding time scales and everything. We can keep somebody, uh, unless you're Brian Michael Bendis, you can keep someone as a young child for as long. <laughs> As long don't as you start want on me, man. Don't start no, he, on me. Listen, he did it to Miles too, so we're right there. We're sharing our pain together. All right. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, Dave. Now on to my greatest dislike of this film. Uh, you know, I'm a big, big, big fan of Wonder Woman, uh, both in the comic books, and I really loved the first movie, although the second movie fell flat. I just love the character, but I really don't think that she needed to be in this movie in that cameo at the end. I mean, the the dream sequence part where, where Billy is dreaming of dating Wonder Woman and then she turns around and, it ha- you know, he ha- it has the wizard's face was hilarious, and I'm totally fine with that. Um, but the ca- but the cameo at the end felt so unnecessary and tacked on, um, and also not true. I think to the emotional core of the, of the movie, I think it would have been much more interesting if somehow like the love of family brought him back to life or some such. You know, like it a little hokey. That's what this movie does really well, being a little hokey and a little cheesy. Um, I think that would have that would have been much more interesting than Wonder Woman randomly shows up and, you know, with her godhood lights up the staff and he comes back to life and then walks away. Um, I just thought it was so unnecessary and so tacked on and so tonally incongruent with the rest of the movie. Um, so I never thought I would ever say that a Wonder Woman appearance would be a dislike, but I just did not really like that at all. And I'm sorry, I'm going to say it. The uncomfortable truth for me is the veneer of that first Wonder Woman film has kind of vanished. And 
you know, the internet likes to pile on and make fun. But Gal Gadot is not a very talented actress, and it, it was not good. It was bad. It was bad here. It was it was champagne to fill the Nile bad. Um, I also want to um, highlight the the discomfort that I felt that they were playing fast and loose with the jokes about pedophilia and grooming. God. Um, in 2023, it's it's we got we get, we have to do better. We have to do better, especially if you are now pairing, and we love Freddie, but if we're officially pairing, uh, as a romantic couple, Billy with Anthea, who's six thousand years old and he's seventeen, maybe we can't be doing that. We can't. Uh, so unless you're going to do something like they did in Eternals, where Sprite is officially a teenager now, you got to do better than that. So that made me gross. Made me feel good. I mean, the, I mean, the easiest solution to that particular problem would have just been that she was like sixteen or seventeen years old when you know um, the 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 wizard locked them away, and that instead of like living in some limbo, they were in suspended animation this whole time. So basically, she's still a teenager. You know, like she did not age during that time. She wasn't some kind of suspended animation. But saying she's six thousand years old, yeah, that 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 was icky. That 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 was mighty icky. All right, Chris, that brings us to your final dislike. And uh, this one, I'm very interested to hear what you have to say. Uh, the writing wasn't there for me. And it's probably partly because of my previous dislike of everything being undercooked. Um, Mary, and this was a really poignant point. It just came across because everything was so undercooked. It came across as harsh and rude when Mary said, I know that you're afraid of losing your family. And so like, yes, that's a great point. But for the way in which she said it, the the it wasn't the line delivery that was an issue. It was just it felt out of place, and like there was more that should have been there. Um, and then you know, just some of the jokes. I mean, like how many times do we have to say balls in this movie? I mean, I get it; they're teenagers, but our teenagers at our school are much more creative than that. Um, and so it very, it, I, I thought the writing was was a bit disappointing, and it probably just ties into how undercooked the whole whole film was. I think it got really close. I mean, that's probably the the biggest thing to say. I think that what they needed was was another pass by somebody over that script. I think it got really, really close to being really, really strong. Um, yeah. So uh, I I can't I can't disagree with with the weaknesses of the movie and the writing and how undercooked the, some of the character arcs are and how you know um, I, I can't disagree. Um, you're absolutely right. I do think that this movie got close. I think there were there were seeds of something really good, and if they would have had another pass over the script by somebody to kind of tighten some things up and add a couple of scenes in, I think we would have had a much stronger movie out of that. All right, so let's step outside of the dislike zone, clean off our shoes. Uh, Dave, what is your overall grade for Shazam Fury of the Gods? Yeah, don't don't hate me, man, but I'm thinking this is like B plus A minus material. Like wow. Even- even even with the we like and and I and I want to justify myself here a little bit, okay? Wow. Um, <laughs> you know, I was I was really the man was too stunned to speak. Yeah, so and I'll I'll tell you what it is, okay? Um, you, we talked a lot about about Quantum Mania, and I think that's probably my best reference point since that's the other superhero movie we have um, reviewed most recently. And I gave that what a C minus, and I said that I liked the performances, and there was a lot to like about the movie, and Kang was a really interesting character, and the pieces were there, 
But what really didn't click with me is that it lacked clear character arcs and emotional catharsis. And I think this movie has some of that at least. You know, like I, I believe what's going on with Billy on an emotional side. I believe what's going on with Freddie, uh, even with Mary, although she doesn't get a payoff, I believe what's going on. I believe what's going on from an emotional point with the villains. I find it interesting that there's two families being contrasted. Um, I like how the how the villains end up turning on each other and, and adding an, an additional layer of complexity to the story. Um, and most of all, I just really like that the movie exudes heart. Um, and that is it's something that I think Quantumania lacked horribly. That there was very little heart there, um, you know. Like the moment uh, in the end when when Billy dies, you know, there was a part of me that thought, "Holy crap, they're actually going to leave him dead and then bring him back in the next movie." Like they might do that. I mean, they went so far as to bury him. Like there was a real. Well, they. I you thought know, that I thought they were going to transition. That's how they go into the new DCU. Yeah, I mean, I, it was it was very, and then like Freddy takes the lead or something, which is not unheard of in the comics, by the way. Freddy has been Captain Marvel, Shazam himself before, um, or, and, and Mary has been the main champion before too. So there's potential there to just move on without Billy, you know. So I thought it, I thought there was something there, and then you contrast that, which really like you know got me to you know, the climax of Quantumania, where you have. Um, that moment for just a split second where you think, holy crap, you know, uh, Ant-Man and Wasp are going to be stranded in the quantum realm and this is how we're going to end the movie and then we're going to pick up on this thread some da- somewhere down the line. And then that just got immediately poo-pooed on, right? So it, I felt significant more emotion um, from from this movie than I did from Quantumania. And I think that's really the biggest part is just that this movie actually kind of spoke to me. And so with all its warts and imperfections, I had a really, really good time watching this movie. Um, Probably a better time than, than watching Quantumania by far. Um, And so this is sort of like a a mid tier superhero movie, you know, not, not nearly as much money for the special effects. And yet at the same time, I found like anything that they did with that dragon a heck of a lot more interesting than Broccoli Man in, in Quantumania. You know? So, so by contrast, th- this is a movie that that actually hit me in the feels a little bit. That that had me interested in the characters, that made me care about the characters, and even though it had several missteps, um, I really just enjoyed this movie. And I'm I'm kind of sad for it that it's having such a hard time at the box office because. I had a really good time watching this. Is it, you know, is it Shakespeare or something? Well, absolutely not. But it was a heck of a lot more entertaining and 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 more emotional, at least in my watch, than than something like Quantumania was. So yeah, I like this man. I liked it a lot. So I'm I think I can settle for a good strong B plus for this one. Ooh. I know, Chris, Who you're gonna thought? you're you're gonna you're gonna have Who much more thought? problems with this. You're always the more stern greater than me. You're I know, but are. something something about this movie humped for me, man. Like you know, watching watching Freddy metaphorically and literally tripping on all over himself because a girl is paying attention to him, you know, is 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 so much more relatable than being lost in the quantum realm. You know, like I hate to say it, but there is there is a there is there is heart and relatability here in in these characters. You know, um, you know who hasn't who hasn't felt that maybe they're not living up to their potential, like like Mary. You know. Uh, who hasn't been afraid of, of of losing their family because they're having issues with change like Billy, you know? Um, who hasn't had to struggle with insecurities like like Freddie, you know? Like there, there's there's so much more relatable stuff happening here. Um, 
so yeah, I like that a lot. So 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 hit me with your stern grade, Mr. Stern Grader. Oh Grader. boy. Okay, so here's just a peek behind the curtain for part of the reason why I'm so shocked, guys, is I'm a big psychology nut. Like I'm obsessed with it. And so in my class, I have my students take the Myers Briggs type indicator, their personality assessment. And Dave's personality, which I knew before he even took the test, is INTJ. Okay? He's an introvert, he's an intuitive, like a deep thinker. Uh, and and then thinking, emotions do not sway him. And yet, <laughs> and yet, here this man is giving this movie a B plus because of feelings. He makes he is the Spock in this relationship, y'all. Listen to the voice, the intonations in my voice. I am Kirk. He is Spock. Listen, <laughs> and for him to be swayed by the emotion of this film is just stunning to me. Um. Now, full disclosure, the reason that the you're using a different frame of reference, you're you're using the most recent superhero film that you've seen. I'm using the original film, the Shazam film, as my frame of reference because of how special it was to me. So it's it's another day that ends in why if I emotionally connect something. You, it's much more rarity. <laughs> um, <laughs> but. The first one was just so poignant and it hit close to home. Maybe I'm too close on this subject, but as someone who has a non-traditional family, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm part of a, a blended family where half of my children have no biological attachment to me. And so that was really, really emotional viewing experience, watching that with my family on Thanksgiving. Like I was just like, it's almost like a, the aligning of the, the planets or whatever from the, the Tomb Raider film, like the planets aligned watching that. Um, <laughs> and wasn't there something about the planets aligned in the first Shazam movie too? Anyway, I don't remember, man. It's been a while since I watched it. Anyways, anyways. So, um, taking all of that into account and all of the struggles that Billy had in this movie that Mary had, like those hit close to home for myself and for my kids. But um, just how undercooked it was, it just, there wasn't enough TLC added in that for me. And the undercooked nature of this entire film is to its detriment. And the heart, yes, remains, and I'm willing to overlook some of it, but it's a C plus for me. It's, it's a, don't worry. All of my students have two attempts on every assignment. They can redo something one time. So listen, uh, Shazam and company, you have a second attempt. I suggest that you use it. I don't know how feasible that is. But um, I also, I, I desperately wanted more. As a Lucy Liu super fan, Helen Mirren's great. I needed more from them too. Uh, the Anthea character was problematic. I can't, I can't. So it's a C plus for me. Never thought I'd see the day. Well, you know, stuff happens. So uh, I will say that the first one is significantly better than this one. Like that, the first one was an A to me, straight up. Like yeah, I, I love A to A plus, movie. A to A plus. Yeah, for me, the first it, one. It's it absolutely is perfect. But I think there's still a lot of stuff here that that just has real strong resonance with me, and I really really enjoyed. So um, never thought we'd part part uh, waste this strongly on a movie, but uh, here we are. All right, that wraps up our Byword Big Talk. What did you think about Shazam, Fury of the Gods? Am I too emotional? Is he too emotional? Give us your reactions at NerdByWord on Twitter and Instagram or that Nerd Dave and that Nerd Chris. When we come back from our final break, we're hitting you with nerd commendations. 
we are back for our final segment. Now that we have, now of the, 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 the tensions and the emotions have subsided, we are here for more. Dave, I read issue one and I fell head over heels in love. I haven't gotten to issue two, but please, wax poetic right now, dude. Well, you know, uh, we we all know at this point how big of a fan of Superman I am, and uh, how you know problematic uh, you know Brian Michael Bendis' run was for me, and how much I've been looking for a, a new jumping on point. And now we're at the dawn of DC uh, initiative, and and things have really changed. Uh, over in those Superman books. And lo and behold, the newly launched Superman number one and number two have absolutely restored my faith in having great Superman stories uh, written by Joshua Williamson, art by the incomparable Jamal Campbell. Um, Superman one and two have totally uh, restored my faith in DC telling good Superman stories. Um, The setup is so very interesting. You know, we're at a point now where Lex Luthor knows that uh, Clark Kent and Superman are the same person. Lex is in jail, um, and he uh, now has made it his project basically to build a better Superman. He believes that Superman needs him to succeed in his mission, um, that something is something bad is coming and only together they can stop it. Um, and he's using the fact that Superman always has sort of one ear uh, on Lex wherever he is in case he's up to no good by constantly literally being in his ear and talking to him and telling him what he thinks he should be doing which is absolutely a fun dynamic between those two um, and then we have uh, you know sort of the the notion of kind of going through some of Superman's classic villains and doing interesting new things with them and for this first story arc we get a really uh, interesting quote-unquote upgrade um, on the parasite, which is already a really cool character to begin with, but uh, here he uh, he kind of like feeds on Superman, and then instead of like just getting bigger and more monstrous, he actually multiplies, um, and you know suddenly there's a whole bunch of parasites, and then you know they keep multiplying. There's more and more parasites, you know, sucking energy out of everything uh, to the point where Metropolis basically has to be like this walled-off city, you know, with the rest of the super family outside of the city trying to stop anything from getting out. Um, and, and spoiler alert, at the end of the most recent issue, uh, Superman realizes that the parasite has gone airborne, that he has little, little tiny clones that are now going into people's bloodstream and t- turning them into versions of the parasite. So it almost becomes like a zombie uh, sort of situation. Superman gets attacked by Lois Lane and Lois is trying to suck energy out of him. And and holy crap, dude, like talk about taking a villain and doing something new and interesting with them. I mean, we're two issues in here and we got a really cool take on the Lex Superman dynamic. We got a really cool take on the Parasite. The art by Cam- uh, Campbell is just absolutely knocking it out of the park. Like th- this is peak Superman. And if they can keep this kind of quality up, then, then holy crap, I hope they don't leave this book for a long, long time it is so very good yeah and help me out here there's a new character anti-hero coming in issue three that we're all geeked about as well yes yes uh, i i'm not i'm not you know following that too closely um because i just want to you know see it from the context of the story so i'm taking a step back and just letting it happen rather than following all the you know the coverage in the nerd media um this, this is a book that I don't want spoiled for myself in any way, shape, or form. The Superman family of books are just really knocking it out of the park right now, and I want to experience them fresh. Yeah, I totally agree. I second your nerd commendation with all my heart. Uh, I Again, I read the first issue. I haven't got to two yet. Two is a recent release, right? 
Like it came out this. Yes, this it, week. yeah. As of recording, it just came out this week. Okay, I'm I'm so behind on current comics; it's laughable. Um, but yeah, I, I absolutely adored the first issue. There, in particular, is one full page, like full page splash where, like Superman's cape is kind of billowing out, and Campbell has like his entire cast of characters in that motif of the cape, and it's just breathtaking. Um, and then, like like you said, it's a really interesting take on on characters, and I'm fully invested, even after just that first issue. Yeah, it's a really, really, really exciting time, man. So, uh, what are you nerd commending, Chris? Well, I we're revealing things about each other that we probably didn't know. I've been a huge fan of The Sims for like ever since their inception in like 2000. I think the first game came out. I had all the expansion packs and everything. Um, I fell off the wagon a little bit. I did have The Sims um, Four on um, on Xbox because it was part of the EA Play Game Pass situation. And now that I have this MacBook that I'm recording on, um, I've been looking for stuff to do on my MacBook. And you had suggested getting the Steam uh, Steam account, uh, Epic Games as well. But unfortunately, Macs are not known for their compatibility with video gaming. Like gaming is not the thing you get a Mac for. You get a Mac for ease of use, for work, for podcasting. And so it's been hard to find something to do. I play Mahjong and listen to the Witcher audiobooks. But then I found out that The Sims 4 is free to play now across all platforms. Um, I had to get I had to get the EA Origin app in order to download it. So which is EA, um, which just makes you giggle every time you say EA. But um, and everything associated with that company. But um, one of the one of the few things that they they get right still to this day, it's one of their calling cards. So EA Origin has their own Steam ish app that you have to download on the Mac. Um, But it's fine. So you get The Sims 4 free to play. And of course, you can buy endless expansion packs and everything. But like even the reinvention since this game was released on on Xbox and I've had it since 2014 like there's so many endless possibilities that you can play with this game. The Sims was always just fun to especially as a kid just like hmm you know considering what career paths you could be on um how your life could kind of turn out it's just like this simulator has always been fun and then the the way that the franchise has constantly reinvented itself even the base game there's endless possibilities that you can do um there's even scenarios now where like you have a storyline that you have to play through as a sim rather than just you know starting from from scratch so i've always loved the sims and you can get it on just about every platform and it's free to play now so um waiting on some of those sales so i can get some of the expansion packs but right now i'm playing it for free 99 and it's the best Free ninety nine. I love that. Yeah. So uh, I've not I've not checked out a Sims game in a dog's age. I think the last one I checked out was the Herbs on GameCube or something. Like uh, it's it's been. It's oh my god! Been, I remember that one. Yep. It's been forever. So I'm gonna have to if it's if it's free to play now. I'm probably gonna have to just like dig in um, and and take a look at it one day um, because you know that kind of simulation stuff is actually really relaxing and fun. And I definitely mm-hmm. need a relaxing game to play sometimes. So it sounds like something that I could really use. Yeah, it's something that my my whole family, my my sisters, my mom and I, we all played growing up. And so like now I told them it's like free to play. Like we're, we're right back in it. <laughs> 
All right, that wraps up episode 146 of the Nerd Byword. We thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to like and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you don't miss anything. Um, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or nerdbyword.com. And find us on social media where you can uh, check us out on Twitter and Instagram at nerdbyword or individually at that nerd Dave and at that nerd Chris. And as always, stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Mm-hmm.